So the question is, why does God seem so distant? I think that's one of the more persistent questions I've been asked over the years. Is why does God seem so far away? Particularly those moments when I appear to need him most, when I'm crying out, why does God seem so distant? Why can't I get a closer connection? What, what technique do I need to improve? What, what practice do I need to have? Why is God so far away, seemingly, from my life? And it strikes a discordant note, that question, with the central premise of uh, Christianity. In, in, a, in a verse I'm going to look at you a little bit later in, in Micah, there's a, one phrase that starts out which says, who's a God like you? And that, that phrase sets up a whole series of things about God. And when you hear it at first, who's a God like you? It sounds like it's going to be like one of those rah-rah verses, you know, who's God like you? You're big and you're powerful and you're strong and rah. It's not like that at all. Who's a God like you who uses and leverages his power for an intimate relationship with individual people? It's really a stunning verse that shows God take all of his immensity, all of his transcendence, and use it to draw people like you and I close. It's, it, this is, in that phrase, who is a God like you? It's at the heart of what Christianity stands for and really what separates it from simply religion or moral philosophy. And I, and I guess what strikes us is, it, I talked about this on Christmas Eve a little bit, it's, I think it's perhaps easy to think of God as a moral architect of the universe or somebody who's, who's big and who's creative and he's omni, omnipresent, omniscient. It's perhaps easy to see that when simply we look at the universe around us, but the striking nature of Christianity and what the actual calling of it is for individual people is a transcendent God saying, I will bring you close to me. So why does God seem so distant and so far? I wonder if it isn't this. Perhaps, just perhaps, it's a local issue. Perhaps that line from the arcade fire song, My Body is a Cage, perhaps the reason why the distance seems between God and us so large is not on his side but on ours. And you say, but wait, I've already said, why is God so distant when I want him to be so near? Still, perhaps there are reasons why we keep God at a distance. Honestly, I could probably come up with a dozen. I'm going to walk through about four this morning. Four reasons why I think it is, in fact, a local issue. God seems so distant because we keep him distant. One reason is disbelief, otherwise known as realism. You know, the, the, like I said, it's easy to look around the world and say, well, <laughs> the reason why God feels so distant is because he is. He, he's off there somewhere. I don't believe that there's a God who actually touches my life. Let's be realistic. The whole God present in your life thing seems like some televangelist hocus pocus. Of some guy saying he hears from God and so he coincidentally is able to tell me what to do. But really, we're in the 21st century. God's distant. We're living our own lives here. Maybe he's out there, but 
he's not very close. I don't buy it. I think there's a little bit of that in all of us that wonders, that questions, is God really going to be close to people like you and I? You know, many of you know that I used to be an atheist. And I, I, I turned from atheism towards theism, not so much out of a religious conviction, but out of a philosophical one, that there were things that seemed to me to teach me, there were things about the world that pointed to a greater being, a, a, a design, a consciousness. That we, you know, why was there beauty? Why was there love? Why was there justice? Where did these concepts come from that were so entrenched within all of humanity? And so I began to migrate from atheism to theism, believing there is a God, there's something out there. But I think, on my own, that's where I would have stayed. I would have stayed there with this view that there's a God somewhere, but not touching on my life. I'm a relatively logical and analytical person, and I think it would have been easier for me to place God very distant and live my life that way. What changed was the uncanny, the uncanny presence of God interrupting my life. Really uncanny. God's showing up when I didn't expect it and where I didn't expect it. God, God opening up things to me. God having circumstances and events and people's comments and all sorts of things sort of conspiring to make me ask a bigger question. Was I shutting something out by seeing God as a distant deity? In the end, I concluded, yes, I was. Realism. Disbelief can keep us with God at a distance, which can be awfully convenient, you know, because there's other reasons why we keep God distant. Apathy. Disinterest. Reluctance. You know, it's... It's really pretty provable. If you're not interested in something, you don't desire it, you, you won't have it. It, 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 it. You know, you can try this in relationships. If you don't desire the relationship with the other person, I can pretty much guarantee you won't have one. If you're apathetic about connecting with that person, I can guarantee you you won't connect, and they will probably move on. Apathy and disinterest comes relatively easy for most of us. Come on, we pick and choose. We pick and choose the things we want to be interested in, the things we're going to pay attention to, the things, and often those things are those that right now in the moment we want, and they make us feel good. Apathy. I'm building, by the way, I'm building to a big crescendo. The fourth is the a third reason I think we can keep God at a distance, why in fact it may be a local issue, is fear. I have felt as long as I've been a Christian that there has been this tension, a real, real strong tension between desire to connect with God and a desire to keep God at a distance because, quite honestly, God is other. He's, he's uncanny. And in that way, potentially quite uncomfortable. Most of you know that I despise horror movies because they make me afraid, and I really don't like being afraid. There's enough to be afraid of without having to put something in front of me that I didn't need that can make me afraid. But what makes me most afraid, what I really don't like in horror movies, 
you know, the slasher thing you can sort of, uh, it's disgusting, but it doesn't draw that much fear. It's the uncanny. It's that sense of a presence that's other, not human. Really, if I had hair, the hair is going up in the back of my neck right now. When I, and when I was, in, I don't know, I still don't know why I watched this. When I was in high school, I watched The Omen. And, if you, you know, some of you are way too young to have seen The Omen. And it seems tame probably now. It terrified me because it was just Damien. He kept staring at you. And there was that sense of completely other, that you're in the presence of that which isn't human. There's a past, in our small group, we're going through the book of Joel. It's another Old Testament uh, prophet. And, and it talks about this concept called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in the Bible is when God appears to people. And it's either a great day of celebration because, hey, God's here, or absolutely terrifying because God's here. And Joel, it's mostly, oh, no, God's here. Terrifying sense of presence because God is quite simply other than we are. And there are good reasons to want to keep God at a distance. Fear often can dominate our desire to connect with God. And sometimes the answers to that fear don't seem that great. A few weeks ago, Nan and I and the kids went to celebrate my mother-in-law's 80th birthday and Christmas together, about a week before Christmas, and we were up in the mountains, and it snowed, and it was lovely, and we got snowed in, and so we did sledding and stuff like that. But anyway, in the process of that, we were having a conversation with Nan's um, and my nephew, uh, Michael. And Michael, is a, he's been a rower, and you know he's, he's, he's sort of built like, in my mind, I think I used to be built like, you know? And strong and not particularly afraid, and he's about to go into the Navy SEALs. And so he's telling us about, you know, one of the things that they'll do, which is, you know, for example, jumping out of helicopters 80 feet above the ocean with a rope to slide down and then go and do, you know, God knows what covertly. And as he's telling us this, Nan's mom, or his grandmother, looks at him and said, I'm, I'm just, I'm worried for you, Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. And he says, don't worry, Grandma. I'll be wearing gloves. It's just like, oh, okay. You see, because when I was thinking of you jumping out of a, a helicopter into the ocean from 80 feet and sliding down a rope and then going to do covert missions, my real concern was that you'd have chapped hands. <laughs> Thank you. My fear is totally alleviated. Fear can often dominate our lives. Fear keeps us from creating the connection with God that, quite honestly, something in our heart so badly craves. The final reason why I think we create distance between God and us is a deep, deep desire for autonomy. In the end, when push comes to shove, we want to allow people and things into our life to the extent that they don't affect us too much that we still get to live life on our terms. This is why, in my opinion, 
more than half of marriages fail because we are human beings who enter into relationships who want a connection with another person, but we could, we'd still like to live our life on our own. We just want some additional benefits to the relationship, but still, we're going to go solo. Only connect at certain points, but still, be walking through life on our own. We love autonomy, just enough interdependence to fuel our lives, but still, we're on our own. You see, this is why a few chapters ago, we were looking at the book of Micah and where the people cry out in desperation and God goes, oh, come on. Really? Is this what you think it is? That you'll live your life on your own, completely separated, no relationship, and occasionally, when you've got a bit of a need, you'll cry out, and then I'll come in, and you'll get a little bit of divine help, and then move on to living life on your own terms and your own way. The desire for autonomy is deep, and one of the reasons that skews our ability to connect with God is we see, okay, this morning, I was driving by a church marquee sign, and it said, God doesn't want weekend rights. He wants full custody. I could talk about that at a number of levels, but I'll only talk about it at this level. You know, it presents this picture that God is trying to have custody of your life. That what I'm being asked to do, if I become a Christian, I give up my autonomy and I submerge who I am because someone else is now going to control my life. And so I got two options. I either have God as a religious figure who is distant but occasionally bops into my life when I have a need, if that could work out, or I submerge who I am and become dominated, an automaton. I just do what I'm supposed to do. This is among the most insidious notions of what Christianity is, because it's not the desire that God has, and it's the same in any of our relationships. It's not to lose who we are. It's to become connected actually with somebody, to live vitally alongside someone. It's why that verse at the, in the Micah chapter 6 is so important. Walk humbly with your God. Walk. Day by day. Connected with God. I told you, there's that passage in Micah 7, which I just read the first part of it. I, I want to read this one to you because it shows the deep desire and work of God to bridge the distance between us and Him. And it says this to begin... Who is a God like you? You know, where else do I find another deity like this? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our, all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Saying he, God leverages his power for our redemption uses very powerful, you know, strong sort of dominant. You will tread our sins underfoot. You will use your power to get rid of the barrier between us and you. You will hurl our iniquities into the sea. This is the centerpiece of Christianity, that God takes the strength of who he is and uses it, uses that very power 
to destroy the distance between humanity and himself so that for those who will choose to, we can walk with God. Not drop in occasionally, not just cry out when times are bad, but walk with God in an ongoing relationship. And it strikes me that, at least for me, you can answer for yourself, that the reason why God feels so distant is a local issue. He has leveraged his power for us. He has called us close. And he has said, receive it. And you'll have my presence in your life. Presence is what he offers us. Not religion. Not a slightly better life. Not some practices that sort of, you know, cover over the stuff that we've done. Presence. And for some today, I know the insidious notion that what you're being called to is getting a little more religion so your life looks a little better or somebody else will be happy. And in so doing, you've kept God at a distance. And with one movement, you can have his presence close. Because, you see, he's the one who crashed down all the barriers. And if you take a step and receive his forgiveness, all the distance is gone. And we have the opportunity to walk humbly with our God day after day after day. And it can happen for you today. I invite you, whether you are someone who's considering Christianity or somebody who has been a Christian for a long time, to look at the distance that you feel between you and God and to look at the different things that could possibly be actually creating that. And be willing as we come to communion to lay those things down so that you can experience the fullness of his presence in your life in the midst of your silent, perhaps lonely times, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your job, in the midst of your ministry, in the midst of whatever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was taken away, his disciples and he were having... Passover together and he took a loaf of bread and with that he changed what, what happened he said see this bread this is my body which is broken for you and as they stared and wonder at what he was talking about he then shortly after took one of the cups of wine and he says see this cup this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin take it all of you and in that moment he showed the extreme power of God leveraged for our redemption and invited us into the midst of it. And it's why he has us do this today, because we forget. We forget that God has called us close. For a variety of reasons, we forget, and so he reminds us that this is for you. The very presence of God is as simply as you take this into your mouth, so clearly, so tangibly is his presence meant for you. As you come to communion today, your call is not to see what you need to do better, 
It's a call for connection to who God is asking to return. At the end of the day, at the end of the entire book of Micah, one thing stands alone. God has come searching after you, and you can now walk humbly with him. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, would you lead us through this time of communion and open up our hearts and our minds to the barriers that we create? We would prefer not to think about them. It's actually kind of hard work. And it's easier just to, to float. I pray for each one of us today that we could have the experience of the assurance of your presence. I pray that we could have the experience of your spirit teaching us that which keeps us from you. I pray truths that will make us more alive will come home. I pray this in Jesus' name. As the uh, communion service come forward, let me remind you, if you're someone who has never put your faith in Christ, you've never entered into that relationship, you can do it today. And this can be a marker moment for you. This can be the moment where as you take this bread and juice and come with us, that you say, Jesus, I want forgiveness and I want your presence in my life. Would you now lead me to walk with you? If you're not ready to do that today, if you're not at a place where you're ready to receive Christ, then I encourage you not to turn it into a, a religious ritual without significance for you. We do that with too much, and it deadens our soul. It would be far better for you to take the time to consider where you are and the questions you have and what you're hoping for and what you're looking for and what you're asking God for. But today, if you are someone who is in faith or coming to faith today, I invite you to come, whether you're part of Warehouse or not. And what will happen is after I serve our servers, they will go out into five stations in the room, and then you will make your way to them whenever you're ready. They will gather you into a group of about 12. They will, they will serve you and pray with you, and then you can make your way back to your seat. Now, as I serve them, I'll give you a couple of moments.
as you're ready, make your way to any of the stations.
I'm not a um, terribly mystical person, but I, I don't know. As I'm going through communion with y'all today, I just had this this really strong sense that what's hidden behind so many of your eyes is the sense of disbelief. That not the disbelief that there could be a God who could love people, but there could be a God who could love you. And I think for too many of you, you're rehearsing the stuff that you've done or the places you've been or what's going on in your heart now, and you're having maybe a pretty keen sense of who you are. But you're missing the power of God leveraged for you, like you are now, not like you'll someday be. He sees that. That's where he's taking you. But his mercy is given to you now. You can walk with him today. And I would pray that as we go through this time of worship, that what you'll experience is the sense that God's redemption, the coming of Christ in his presence, is not for some other people in the room, but is actually for you. And I pray even as we start and with the, the plea of the song for God to take you up, and as we start with our offering, which is our reminder that God wades into our lives, that you would believe, even as you see that basket, that it is an image and a picture of the fact that God is wading into your life, and he's calling you to walk with him.